Well, a couple things going on different. Uh, some new things going on in the church. Just want to let you know about it. Number, uh, the big thing is the service time's moving. That'll be happening next week. I mentioned last week about uh, we've been talking about an associate pastor. Uh, we are, um, that is going to happen. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to give you a name and stuff yet. That probably next week, but uh, I know who it is, but I just, it's not there yet. So, uh, but uh, the reason I'm telling you that is so that you can be praying for that person. Even though you don't know their name, God does. And and you can start praying for them. I will tell you, it's a young person just getting out of seminary. It's going to be the first church appointment. Um, I remember me coming in doing that. Uh, this is a scary, exciting uh, exciting time. And so just be praying for, for uh, that person. I appreciate that. Uh, the, the service time is going to be uh, moving next week, and so we're excited about that. We also had a, a mission team go to uh, Galveston over the last week, and uh, we just want to give God thanks. They've returned home safely. Uh, I haven't seen anyone with nail marks in their forehead or anything like that, which is amazing when you think of some of the people that went. So uh, we, we just want to thank you all for your willingness to, uh, to represent our church and to re- represent our Savior and, uh, and sharing your, your time and talents with them. And uh, uh, we're we're, we're thankful for your, for your sacrifice. We have been, since January, we have been trying to, to define what, what makes a Christian. What, what, what is it that, that we are supposed to be marked by? We haven't exactly been using those words. We, we've talked about it as far as the corporate model that we're wanting to, to as, a, as a people of this church, what we want this church to be known by. But, but what it comes down to, we're not trying to do anything wacko or weird or anything. What it comes down to is we're, we're trying to follow the scriptures. We're trying to, to make sure that, that we are in line with what we read in the scripture of who we are supposed to be according to, to God's word. And so as we've done that, we, we start, and it starts with, with God. If there's a model that we look at, if, if he's the creator, if he's the all-powerful one, we, we look to him for guidance on this. And we, we look at how he approaches us, and then we, we try to do that for others. The, the reason being is Jesus gave us a, a command. It, he was asked during his ministry, what, how would you define God's law? And he said, well, there's two things that wrap up all of God's law. The first is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. He says in that, the whole law is summed up. That's, that's the basis of what God wants us to do. And so keeping that in mind of these things we've been talking about, by loving God, the way we love God is by loving one another. And so people and, people and God are going to go together all the time. So we started by talking about we wanted to be a people that would be willing to love anyone and everyone. That we're not supposed to make judgments about who's worthy and who's unworthy because God has said, despite all of our unworthiness, that he has made us worthy by the choice of his love. We don't earn our worthiness. We're given it by the fact that our creator has said you're worthy. And when God reached out to us, he looked past our, he looked past our mistakes. He looked past our scars. He looked past our brokenness and accepted us right where we are didn't celebrate it, didn't say it's okay. That he, he didn't say, well, just keep on doing the thing you're doing. It's okay. 
No, he said, I'm, I love you, and I'm, therefore I'm going to meet you where you are, and in my love I'm going to help you become the person I want you to be. And so we, in, in thinking of the way we're supposed to then act, we said, then as a church, we want to make sure that we have that kind of love for other people. That we're not going to point a finger in judgment, that it's not our job to decide who should and shouldn't be in this, this group, who should and shouldn't be in God's kingdom. Our job is simply to love them. Not to celebrate their weakness, not to say, oh, we're glad you're that kind of broken, but to say, no, together we're all broken, together we can, we're willing to walk with you, with God, to become the people that we're called to be. So we wanted to be a church, we wanted to be a people that loved the way God loves us. Then we, we talked about our attitudes towards other people. And, and when we look at what God did for us, when, when he wanted to show us how important he was, we were to him, when, when, when he wanted to demonstrate how, how magnificently he loves us, he left nothing back, including his own son. He gave everything to demonstrate to us how important we are to him. He did everything and anything that he could to get our attention. And so we said, we want to be a people that are willing to make that same sacrifice. We don't want to let our, our attitudes, our prejudices, our excuses, our fears, our old traditions, whatever garbage that we come up with as church, as rationalization of why we don't want to do things, we don't want to let that get in the way of us being God's people. There's too many churches sitting around empty because their whole attitude is, well... If people wanted it, they could change their way. We just don't want to be those people. We want to do whatever it takes to make sure that we share God's love with others. And then finally, what we're ending with, this is sort of wrap this up and we'll begin moving on uh, in in May. Um, We need to take that message of love anywhere and everywhere we go. One of the mistakes we've made is thinking that ministry happens in a building, that ministry happens in a church. But we reminded ourselves last week that church is not a building. Church is people. We are the body of Christ. We are the hands and feet of God. A building is not where God is confined to. People have made that mistake over and over again. And let me tell you, if you think you can confine God in a building, you are mistaken. If you think you can confine God in any way, in any ideology, any type of philosophy, any type of expectation of seven steps to God, or if you think you can confine God in any way, you're sadly mistaken. God cannot be confined. He is infinite. He is all-powerful, all-knowing. There is no way we can confine him, and he is certainly not confined to our buildings. And we have made a mistake over the, over the last couple centuries, especially in, in Western civilization, we have made a mistake of trying to say that church is where ministry happens. Church is where ministry happens. And if church is where ministry happens, the people who share ministry at the church are the ones who are responsible for it. Therefore, clergy are responsible for the ministry of the church. That's great as a corporate model for some kind of company or whatever, but it sucks for theology. Because you know what the scriptures tell us? 
The scripture, you want to know who the ministers of the gospel are according to the, to the scriptures? It's you. It's us. It's anyone who has been uh, baptized into this life of Jesus Christ. You have been not only baptized into a relationship, you've been baptized into a calling. That calling to go into all the world, to, to share his word with others, to make disciples, to teach them the things that he taught us to love them, to make them a part of our family. That's the ministry we have all been tasked with. If anything, I'm the coach. Clergy are the coach. We're the ones that are supposed to like rah-rah you and kick you in the butt when you need it and pat you on the back and, and make sure that things don't get in there. That's clergy, but the ministry is all of us. It's called the priesthood of believers. Every one of us, not because we're worthy, not because we are special, not because of our charisma or our gifts and talents, but because of the grace of God and the presence of God in our lives, every one of us have been tasked and given the privilege of being a part of the kingdom of heaven. The way Paul says it is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the precious, beautiful treasure of Christ's love is held within the broken, icky pots of our lives. It makes absolutely no sense, but God has trusted the riches of his kingdom to us. Warts and all. Cracks and all. We are the ones that are responsible for carrying out this ministry of Jesus Christ, and it doesn't happen in walls. We are the ones that are supposed to be making a difference in the world. And what we have been talking about is evangelism. And I avoid using that word because everyone has baggage with that word. Some of you, when I say evangelism, the thing that pops into your mind is some, some guy in a white suit with white puffy hair that says God in five syllables and points his finger at you. Others of you have some experience like from college or something or there's some wacko walking around with a cross on his shoulder and everything and he told you you were going to hell. We all have our, our picture of what evangelism is and because of that picture and because we don't want to be perceived as wacko, we, we have just said, that's not what I'm supposed to do. Others of you have bought into some bad teaching in the churches. This teaching that, that, our, that we can only do things that we're talented in. That we're only supposed to do what our spiritual gifts are. And, and spiritual gifts are something God gives us, but the way God gives spiritual gifts, it has nothing to do with us. It's the way God feels the church needs to be equipped through the people. And he's not limited by our talents and our, our, in order to be able to do that. And it's usually the areas that we're least talented in that he gives us the strongest gifts. But you've, made some, you've heard someone say that evangelism, sharing the word, is a spiritual gift. And so you've come, oh, well, that's a great spiritual answer then. The reason I don't share my, that's not my spiritual gift. I'm not supposed to, that's somebody else's job. The clergy, that would be good. The clergy are supposed to do it. After all, man, we pay him to be good and to share the message, which I agree with. I am paid to be good. You're good for nothing. But we are, we are called to share our faith, to take this treasure we have, to take the treasure we have received and share it with others. 
Now, I don't think there's one of us that wouldn't like to do something that matters. I don't think there's one of us that wouldn't like to have our lives mean something. But when we start thinking about this and we see the need in the world and we see the situations around, the first thing that crosses our mind is, man, I don't have the ability to do something that matters. With my, with my knowledge, with my talent, with my efforts, how am I going to make a difference? And so we think that we shouldn't even try because our efforts aren't going to do anything anyway. We read about these, these ideas in... in We read about these people and how they build organizations and transform people and ministries and Mother Teresa's and these these organizations and stuff. And we go, man, see, now if if I could do that, then I'd do it. But I can't do that, so I'm not going to do anything. Right? And so we just have all sort of withdrawn ourselves because we, we have this idea that it doesn't matter unless it's big. But when I read the Scriptures... God's definition of what matters is a lot different than our society. God's definition of what matters is, one example Jesus gives is a, is a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and one of them disappears. And the shepherd leaves all 99 of the ones who are in place to go search for one. And when that one is found, there's a celebration and a party. And that was a picture, if you will, of what goes on in the heavens. You see, with God, one person matters. The littlest of things, the things we think are insignificant details, they matter immensely to God. That's what we're called to do. So let's look at a a passage that tells us, that reminds us where God's heart is. Remember, keep it in mind, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And how do we do that? We demonstrate that by our love for one another. In fact, in, in the epistle of 1 John, if you read it, he, he's a little more harsh. It's, it's not just, you know, that would be nice if you love people when you love God. It, it actually says, how can you call yourself a Christian if you say you love God and can't love your brother or sister? How can you claim to love a God you can't see when you can't love the people you see every day? How can you, how can you even go there? So there's a connection between God and others. And we're in Matthew 25, and Matthew 25 is a section of end-time parables. There, there's these stories, these pictures Jesus gives us of what comes at the end time, and this is a whole nother series, and I'm not going to get into the details of it. But basically what, what these stories tell us is that the way we live matters. There is judgment. We, we don't just get a free pass. The way you live matters. That there will be, you will be judged on what you did with what you were given. Okay. I think there's two judgments. The first one of whether you go to heaven or hell, that was decided on the cross. The, the, the cross is where that's decided. And anyone who calls on the name of Jesus Christ will be saved. Anyone who calls on the name of Jesus Christ will be saved. Th- th- that judgment was taken care of on the cross for anyone who will accept it. For all who believe, that's where that's... But the judgment of how well did you use my gifts? How, how, what kind of steward were you? Were you trying to build my kingdom or were you trying to build your kingdom? And, and don't, I, I don't know the answer about what are the rewards going to be? What are the, what are the con- I don't know any of that. All I know is if God thinks that it's a reward, it's probably pretty fantastic. 
And if he thinks it's a punishment, it's probably pretty bad. <laughs> I, I just, I, I don't know all that stuff. But in, in, in one of these, in, in chapter 25, in this one we're going to be reading, prior to this, it starts off that in the end time, the people are going to be gathered, and, and, and the picture is like a bunch of livestock, and, and there's going to be a division made. The ones who did what they were supposed to on the right, the ones who didn't on the left, the ones on the right will be sheep, the others that will be on the left will be goats. And so the question is, how do you get on the sheep side and not the goat side, Right? So, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And the people are going to say, well, I don't remember doing any of that. When were you hungry? When were you sick? When were you thirsty? I don't remember that. And Jesus said unto them, whenever you did it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. Think. Love for God is demonstrated in our love for people. And Jesus draws a connection for us. Whenever you do something for these, you're doing it for him. That makes you reconsider the next time you put up the middle finger driving down the highway, doesn't it? (laughs) That makes you reconsider a lot in our life, doesn't it? And it shouldn't surprise us. Because if you read the Old Testament at all, you get Israel, which that was God's people at that point, we're the new Israel. Israel was always under condemnation for ignoring the people in need. Why are you ignoring the widows? Why are you ignoring the orphans? Why are you ignoring the children? Why are you letting injustice? Why won't you speak up for people who can't speak up for themselves? How can you sit by and watch these people suffer and have their riches taken away, have themselves bullied by powerful kings and not speak up? That is why you are my hands and feet, and you're not doing it. And we could say the same thing about our societies today. We, there, are, there are the same needs that were around then. We just have, we, a lot of times we're just really good at ignoring them and pretending they're not there. Okay? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to divide. We, we're talking about evangelism. I told you last week I was going to help us get to a point where we could do it in a way that's not obnoxious, where we're not going to like scare people away and they're not going to pin up our church's name at the convenience stores around saying, stay away from these people, you know, uh, just, and I'm going to break it into two parts. This week, we're going to talk about what we do. Next week, we're going to talk about what we say. And why do you think I started with doing rather than saying? Because actions speak louder than words, Right? And you know this, the people in your neighborhoods, the people that tell you you're stupid for going to church, this is what they say all the time. How can you go hang up with a bunch of hypocrites? They never follow through with what they say. And they're right, we don't. Let's own it. We don't. We're hypocrites. We can admit that. And right there, we've made a connection because, yeah, I am. That's why we all get together. We have a hypocrite support group. That's, 
Well, that's basically what we are. Let's quit, let's quit playing games. That's basically what we are. Okay? But when, when we're called into this minute, we, we know we're supposed to do something, but we think that what we can do is not good enough. Okay, or I, I need to address something first because there's some of you been in church for so long that you don't even think normal anymore, right? And, and to you, outreach means that there's got to be a program and a committee and a president and a chairperson and a secretary and minutes and everything else because we all know God cannot work except through the arms of a committee, right? And, and so we... It's not good enough to see need in our area. Apparently, the way that God has planned it, I've not seen this part in the scriptures yet. I'm still looking. But apparently, the way God has planned it is when you see a need, you call the church office and you say, there is a need. You all need to do something. And then you get a committee together and then that committee will uh, put a program together and we'll talk about it and we'll organize and we'll have meetings and stuff and then we'll put it in the bullet and, we'll, and, and there'll be this constant urgency of can you please advertise it more? We're not getting enough help. And, and, then, and then we have to stand up to say, there are some hungry people, could you feed them? Yeah, and, and what happens with that? Nothing. Nothing. You know what programs do? Programs only give the lazy people in the church the, the ability to claim something that they're not doing. Because if your church has a program that's dealing with the poor, even if you've never done anything with it, you can say, well, our church takes care of those people. And let's be honest, in a church, there's about 20% of people that do 80% of the work. So programs aren't the issue, are they? You don't need a program to help people, do you? Let's look at our scripture. Verse 35. I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was lonely, you visited me. I was naked, you gave me clothes. I don't read anything here about I was hungry, and so therefore, you sat me down, and we went through an inventory of how I spend my money, what my priorities are what church I belong to, what economic level I'm at, where's my history and my, my rationale. You just you saw I was hungry and you gave me food. You saw a need and you responded to it. How hard is that? How hard? And that's a hypothetical question. And don't answer that because apparently it's really hard for all of us. Because we are in a world... Even though we live in the United States, even, even though we're in the, one of the most affluent areas of the United States, that we still live in an area where there's hunger, right here in our area, where there's need, where there's brokenness. And apparently, it's really hard for us to see. And part of that is because we have come up with so many rationales of why we shouldn't see it. We have come up with so many explanations of why we shouldn't help. We've come up with so many excuses of why they don't deserve our help. But there is need all around us. My question is, do you need a program to respond to it, or can you just see the need and do something? Here's, here's the deal. Let's, let's tie all these things together, okay? Love for God is demonstrated in our love for others, right? The way God measures 
worthiness, the way God measures something, uh, I can't think of the word, the way God measures the credibility or, or the, the value of something is much different than the way we measure, that even one person matters, that even the smallest detail matters, okay? That we don't need a program, that church doesn't happen in buildings, that religion really happens when we express our desire to be the kind of person Jesus was out in the world, okay? So, if we want to do something significant, the way we do that is opening our eyes to the need around us. You don't have to look far. You do not have to look far. Do not fool yourselves that because we live at the lake in in western Travis County, that there's not need. And I am not just talking about financial. I I am talking about loneliness, brokenness, downheartedness. I am talking about all kinds of need. Spiritual, emotional, physical. There's need. You've seen it. The question is, what have you done? You see, when, when Jesus is saying this, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you all you did good. I'm, I'm giving you your reward because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. We didn't have it in our scripture reading, but if you keep reading, there's the, other, the ones on the other side that say, hey, wait, what's up with that? How come we're over here? And he runs through the same list, and he says, well, I was hungry, and you never fed me. I was thirsty, you never gave me a drink. And they're like, wait, you never, I never saw you. I didn't give the bum some money, but I, I never remember seeing you. I definitely remember if, thinking if Jesus ever walked in my midst, I would give him money. And he says, whatever you did for them, you did for me. Do you see the connection? It's what, the way we act matters to God. Even in the smallest details. Let me give you a, a couple examples. The group that went to Galveston. Okay? Devastated by the hurricane. They gave up their time to go over to Galveston. Mosquitoes? Yeah. Smell? Yeah. That's Galveston. It was like that even before the hurricane. So... Um, <laughs> They spent time hammering, cleaning, porta potties, bad showers. Okay, you're home now. Is everything taken care of over there? Is there still need? So you just basically wasted your time for a week, right? I mean, that's the way we think. We didn't take care of the problem, so we wasted our time. What? I mean, okay, so you built, you you helped fix one house out of. 500 that needed to be fixed. Big whoop. Habitat for Humanity. We've been sending teams down there. We gave a substantial financial gift to help with that. Most of us will never meet that family. If you even, if you go down to volunteer, they've had about 12 work days. You go down there. I went down there for one week, spent eight hours. I screwed drywall all day. And I was in this tells you what a great drywaller I was in. I was in about a four by eight room. <laughs> at, the, at the end of the day, wow, I, 
I know there's a lot more need for homeless than that four by eight room. What did I do that mattered at all? And that's where we, that's where we go. There's world hunger. What am I going to do to make a difference? There's these kids being wiped out by malaria in Africa. What am I going to do to make a difference? Well, let me, let me follow up on those stories. Maybe if you talk to somebody who's just there for a little bit at Habitat for Humanity, you might not feel like you did something, but if you get a chance to talk to the family who's getting that house, who for 14 weeks now has watched volunteers come and go, has watched people they don't even know spend eight hours a day building a house from nothing to something, in that four-by-eight room that I think is so insignificant and seems like a closet, not a room, that little girl that's a member of that family cannot wait to get into that room. The people in Galveston, no, there are still a lot of damage in that area. They did not make a scratch in it other than the fact that every time a group comes in, every time there's a wall that goes up, every time there's some trash cleaned out, every time there's a little bit of progress, there's hope that someday they might get their life back. And even though you might not think that's significant, God deals in insignificant and he turns insignificant into life-changing transformation. This thing is not hard. We just make it hard. You do not need to change the world. You just need to change your little area of life. You need to change your response to the world. Let God deal with the world. You just deal with your obedience. And let me share something with you. I am the worst. I am one of the most cynical people there is when it comes to this stuff. Probably because I get confronted with it a lot more. being in the church and stuff, I I can be the most cynical person. Oh, they're just get on my nerves after time, after time, after time, after, and you're like, I'm just enabling them now. I'm not helping them. But what I learned a long time ago, one of my pastor friends taught me this. When God looks at you, and you have that whole thing. If I'm giving them money, they're wasting the church's money and I'm responsible for the church. And my pastor friend said, you know what? You know what you're responsible for? You're, you're responsible to show God's love and generosity. How they use it is on them. You are judged by how you respond in obedience to what God has asked you to do. And I can tell you sometimes I have a horrible attitude about it. It's like, oh, do not let me see your face again. You know, I, 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 so I'm with you. I am not pointing fingers. At, I am talking about myself here. But I can tell you that even, even when I've not had the best attitude, even when I have done it with poor motivation, God can use even my bad sacrifice as something that he chooses to make a difference through. Just think if he had our willing participation. You are not called to judge. You're not called to point fingers. You're called to share God's love freely with others. In whatever way you see, if you see a need, take care of it. You're hungry. Here's food. 
You're thirsty. Here's a drink. There's need all around us, man. The question is, how are you going to respond? Why don't you bow with me? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your free offer of grace to us. And for the fact, God, that you never, you never get tired of offering to, even though we take advantage of it every single day, even though we don't truly appreciate and understand the depth of your sacrifice, you can still continue to offer yourself freely for us. God, it's our prayer that we might be that kind of people for the world. We know there is need around. Each one of us can think of at least three people around us right now who need help. Somebody going through a, a illness, someone who needs some help with their kids, somebody who needs some help with finances, and we might not be able to take care of the problem, but we can make a difference. Would you give us the boldness to do that? And we pray that in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.